0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Excited for another interview today. We have Matthew Curvis on the show. Matthew, how are you this morning? Uh, I uh, I'm I'm doing great. When you have a two year old, you get up nice and early, and so oh. oh this is this recording time is nine a.m. I've been up for hours. Yeah, you're on your second day starting at nine a.m. <laughs> yeah, two years old is it? Is it your first? Uh, yeah, she's she's our first and only so far. Congratulations. That's awesome. I'm sure you're not sleeping, but that's very exciting. Yes. Yeah, so and
1: while, while we loved living in Chicago for 10 years, we were in Streeterville. Uh, there's nothing like working at home in a one bed condo where you all of a sudden pregnant and have a baby. <laughs> so you, you want to get you want to go find a bigger a, a bigger
0: space uh, when that situation presents itself. Derek, I would say that was like ninety percent of my clients last year. It was something related to physical space and not having enough of it. Whether it was baby or somebody moved in or somebody got old, it didn't matter. But it was all about like you know I ran out of space.
2: I think a lot of it was people were just sick of one another at a certain point. Yeah, <laughs> they were just I, I looking at each other all day. Like, listen, I need to get out. I need more space,
0: right? So I think that was probably a product of that as well too. So, Matt, you know, we, we're excited to have you on the show because, uh, really, we learn a lot about every professional that we get the opportunity to interview. But I am super interested in the services you offer and really, maybe even more so, the journey that took you to where you got today. Because I was doing a little bit of, like, uh, LinkedIn sleuthing, if you will. Uh, it sounds like, I mean, you, you went to IU, Correct. And then you went to law school here in Chicago. Was that the first time that you came to Chicago? Fell in love with Chicago? Or are you from here? You know, how did you how did you end up here?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no. Especially in light of like the the context of the show. Yeah, I've I've lo- I've roots in Chicago that go back decades and decades. So, um, my uh, my grandparents, my uh, my my dad's parents, uh, the Kerbis grandparents, they uh, they moved to the John Hancock Building. I guess we should say what was formerly known as the John Hancock Building now. It's I know. Like- Forever I though, I know, I know, I know. Officially, since I am an attorney, you know, I know they they pulled their licensing rights to that uh, name because they didn't want to be associated with it anymore with John Hancock uh, Company. So, what a small pool of people that have lived in the Hancock Building. That's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, yeah. So they um, uh, humble roots. Like my grandfather was a, uh, a truck driver before becoming a uh, uh, Chicago police officer and then becoming a detective. And so, um, and he did that for. Thirty something years, that he was on the force for like thirty five years, uh, about and and so uh, humble roots, but was able to retire with an okay pension, and they were able to afford a one bedroom in the John Hancock uh, way up there, uh, looking back uh, tor- towards the the state, not the lake, not a lake view. You can't afford on a, on a you know detective pension. You can't afford lake view in the Hancock. That that, that, that view gets up there. We have to draw the
0: line somewhere, you
1: know? right? Right, right. <laughs> and and so. Um, and, you know, you know, kudos to them, you know, living in that place for like decades, just two people in like a small, this is a small one bedroom. Right. Uh, and so my whole life, I grew up in the suburbs. Uh, I lived in Indiana for six years. But that was when I was like a very little kid. My dad followed a good job out there. But, um, but then we came back and uh, but my whole life I've been going to downtown Chicago, Streeterville. Wow. My grandparents live in the Hancock building and, like, getting to go, like, swimming on the pool on the 44th floor and, like, work out in the gym. And, like, over the years, they've updated it. They have a grocery store there. Like, for yeah. for my my soon-to-be 90-year-old Bubby, uh, I, mean, I mean, my grandfather's no longer with us. But, like, for her, like, she's 90 years old. There's a bunch of other, like, elderly people there that she plays Mahjong with. And she's got a grocery store there. You know, she never needs to leave. So it's, it's a great place to hire. Life is good. Yeah. So I've been going downtown forever. and um. Uh, my whole life uh, And that area has meant a lot to me. So when I went to law school at DePaul, which is in the Loop, I decided I wanted to find a uh, a place to uh, uh to be near her. And at the time, my my grandfather was alive still, and so I was at 900 uh, Lakeshore Drive, which is the Mees uh True Curtain Wall Building. Um, and uh, and that was right down the street from the Hancock, so I got to see them a lot. And then uh, that's where my now wife moved in with me in a little studio uh, when we, uh, after a year of dating. And then we continue to live in a lot of uh, a lot of different places in uh, a lot of different units in Streeterville. Um, so I could I could talk Chicago
0: real estate uh, all day. That's awesome. I, I it's truly it's hard to um replace the experience of living in downtown Chicago and Streeterville. I mean, you're in the action. You've seen a ton of development through the times. you've seen uh, in the neighborhood, really, Streeterville at one point was like, hey, there's nothing here. it's a drive-through territory. And then all of a sudden, we had grocery stores and bars and restaurants, and everybody's trying to get into Street View and there's new luxury apartments. and So it's been a fascinating, uh, really, the last 10, 15 years in Street Review, but even the last five have been really fun to watch. Whole, Whole Foods came to town, too, and that was nice. Whole Foods changes every neighborhood. Once you get a Whole Foods, everything is different. I just yeah. remember the construction uh, of that Whole Foods. It just shut down, like, blocks and blocks and blocks. It was so much
1: traffic, too. Yeah. 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 And they, cause they were also building like a couple of high rises around the same time
0: too. Correct. So, like it was like all this. Construction. It was the Whole Foods. It was like one Chicago was going in over there. There was like all a bunch of stuff going in. Yeah. Yeah. it Yeah. So for you, you graduate, you knew you wanted to come back downtown. You love Chicago. Uh, what, what did you do first after law school? What was your first foray into, you know, pro- the professional world?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I I, um, I ended up doing foreclosure defense work, and I don't think uh, anyone goes to law school and says uh, I want to do foreclosure defense work <laughs> when they go up. It's a very specific niche. <laughs> they they yeah. certainly don't say I want to go into foreclosure fore, foreclosure prosecution where I'm kicking people out of their house, right? Because like I was oh. keeping a roof over people's heads. Yeah. So um, so I I got to do that, and I got to learn a lot about real estate. Like like uh, I haven't told this story in a while, actually, but um uh, but like real estate was like. And oh, I was okay, like, at, in law school, like, in, like, the real estate classes, you know, and I didn't know, like, that that's what I would be practicing in when I, like, got out, and, like, so civil procedure and real estate, I did okay, you got, like, B minuses in, like, in law school, I did better in antitrust, uh, and so, uh, so anyway, like, I'm out practicing, I'm doing real estate law and civil litigation, so, like, civil procedure and real estate, like, these classes that I kind of enjoyed, but, like, I didn't find too interesting and things didn't really click in like the theory aspect of uh, yeah. law school. But I was really good. Like I I like like foreclosure defense was a volume practice and I learned civil procedure backwards and forwards and I learned everything about uh, being a good real estate attorney like from practice that I never learned in law school and I absolutely loved it and like to this day even though I'm like we'll, we'll get there I'm a general practice transactional attorney real estate is still a huge chunk of what I do because I've been doing it ever since I graduated from law school in 2014 and uh and I once had a judge ask me as as I transitioned out of foreclosure defense I once had a judge ask me he's like you he used to do foreclosure defense what's the defense you know they didn't pay their mortgage right that's not, that's not, that's the defense is Civil procedure, the rules of civil procedure. We did not Mm -hmm. need the banks uh, foreclose on people without following the rules of civil procedure to a T. And so I had to learn the rules. And that made me a really good lawyer for other litigation matters outside of just foreclosure defense work. But one of the aspects of resolving a foreclosure defense case is a short sale. And so Mm -hmm. I got to learn real estate closings through a really difficult version of it, which is the short sale where you have extra parties involved. And you have extra right. contracts that are a part of that. And so um, so that was sort of where I first dipped
0: my toe into the water of real estate closings too. So interesting because I think most people get into this industry and that's something that when you see or hear about it, any, any of what you just said really, a foreclosure processing, a short sale, any sort of bank owned property, your like spidey senses and fear go up because the complicated nature of that process is obvious the second you look at it. The number of parties involved, The fact that you have a bank with an outstanding lien you have to take care of like you've got somebody like you said whose life is probably getting torn apart in the process of being removed so it's nasty and so to start your career there i mean talk about a crash course i guess for better or for worse you really got to look at the inner workings of the toughest type of real estate transaction
1: yeah and when you're a real estate lawyer doing like residential closings sometimes like if you're if it's it's going to be your first closing eventually right like like a pilot Is going to eventually fly the plane for the first time but Mm -hmm. you don't want to tell everyone on the plane hey this is my first time i'm flying the plane on my own right like you got a co-pilot there and like i was not a solo at first i'm a solo now i went solo in march of 2022 but um but like you know i so I, i was working for a lawyer who like taught me things but like still like eventually like i'm on my own for the first time at a closing at a real estate closing right but because i had done the foreclosure defense practice i had analyzed so many mortgages and so many notes that it was not the first time I'm seeing these documents and have to explain them to a client, right? So like, like having that practice before going right to the transactional stuff, because my next firm, I did a lot more just regular real estate transactions. I was still doing foreclosure mm-hmm. defense work, but that was a smaller part of that firm's practice. And the real estate closings uh, was a huge part of that practice. And so I did a lot of, I, I really like wet my, you know, cut my teeth I guess is what they say. I don't know when that phrase is from, but that just popped into my head. I really cut my teeth, you know, on uh you know, on real estate transactions at that at at, at my second law firm that I worked at and uh, and I just sort of hit the ground running, and I was able to because of that past experience. Even though at first glance you're like, you know, what's the relationship between real estate closing and a foreclosure? Well, when you see everything that goes wrong, it's really right. easy to explain to your client, you know, what's going, you know, what they're signing, what it means, and what happens when it goes bad. Because I I've been in a lot of closings now as a seller too, uh, representing the sellers, and like you hear like what the buyers are, the buyer attorneys are explaining to their clients most of them don't talk about what happens when you know what hits the fan because they don't know they don't yeah. deal with it i did yeah. i started my law practice with
0: oh and derek i know you're familiar with that too because part of the mortgage process as much as it is to make buyers comfortable with hey look this is what you can spend and there's also a very strict conversation which is if you don't meet your expectations here's what the bank does you know and i, I think a lot of people sort of glaze over that portion <laughs> Certainly. And I will tell you, I haven't
2: heard short sale in quite some time. So just my blood pressure started to rise thinking about doing those because like, Matt, as you could talk to, too, on our end, handling the short sales could be a three month process. It could be a six month process. I've seen them go over and above a year or two. And just like you had mentioned, Matthew, there's just a lot more parties in those transactions as well, too. But I'm sure we could talk all day about uh, uncomfortable closings and stuff and conversations that we need to have at the net too, right?
0: Yeah, no kidding. I, yeah, so I'm curious. So now, I, I love when I was reading, so obviously you made your transition. You're now out on your own. Uh, you've got your own independent firm. I, I love when I was reading sort of your mission statement, if you will, and the idea of providing affordable legal care to people who need it. And I'm curious, you know, the functioning of your business, who are your clients? What types of cases are you handling most? You know, wh- what need are you meeting with your business in your opinion? Yeah, yeah, so the the
1: sort of the moniker that I've given myself is the subscription attorney. It's mm-hmm. like, what does that mean, right? Well, uh, instead, like the way that most people get legal services now it, is it's like, oh, I have a legal problem, I think, so I better hire a lawyer. And like, yeah. how do how do I know who to hire? Well, like lawyers can't do direct marketing, like direct solicitation. They do like billboards or they do advertisements. And so, like it's like I know I need to hire a lawyer because I saw a billboard that says, "Do you have
0: mesothelioma?" Uh, they don't hire me. It's like so, so, so the lawyer- or I think every state has somebody with a hammer standing on a billboard.
2: The hammer, the hammer in Indiana. You see
1: that for about three states if you're having that yeah. what yeah. So, so what that is, is that is lawyers doing issue spotting for the public, because one of the things you learn in law school is how to issue spot um, and like figure out what is a legal problem. And while I have always challenged the status quo, I think it's in my DNA. And I'm like, well, why do we have to wait until there are legal problems? That's like, you know. I'm a plumber, but I don't fix leaky pipes. I only come and fix pro- like burst pipes or like when when there's a really big issue because then I get to charge a premium. Well, that's yeah. most of the legal profession, right? And like even real estate lawyers are just kind of sitting back and they're like, well, we know like they're going to have to hire a lawyer when it's a real estate closing. So we're waiting for that problem to present itself to the client before marketing to them, before solving their problem, which is I want to buy a home or I want to sell a home. So, uh, and they need the lawyer, when the lawyer, you know, gets involved. So uh, what I do is I'm like prophylactic legal services, right? It's like I, I help you avoid legal problems, mm-hmm. and I accessibility is a really important part of that for me because most lawyers can't afford their own legal services, and sort of the only reason why, you know, at least in Illinois, like clients are willing to shell out a few hundred bucks to, uh, uh, or you know, a couple thousand depending on the the nature of the transaction, is because it's a massive, massive purchase. And, you know, they're using someone like Derek and they're getting a loan, right? So like like, like that, so they can afford it, right? Because it's just part of that transaction. So at $20 a month, that's accessible for a huge part of the community that wasn't able to afford legal services before. It's still too much for some people, but it's affordable for a lot of other people. And I charge a couple hundred dollars less than the, the, the going market rate for my flat fee for a real estate transaction because I'm not just someone's real estate attorney, right? I want to create, like a software company, like a SaaS company, I want to create lifetime value to and from a client. So I want them to stay subscribed for me for me with me for life. And I want to be able to be there for them for whatever sort of legal situation might come up. And they could call me or message me in my client portal, and I can answer their legal questions before they become a burst legal pipe, right? And so uh, this is so, like, I've actually found... Um, I, I originally have like a pricing price points where I thought it would be really um, uh, attractive to tenants, but actually landlords are hiring me as like a not full on property manager, but at least to, to manage the disputes with their tenant on their behalf because they get emotional about stuff, but they could sign up even at, at my entry level negotiation package, which is the $20 a month entry level fee and my $200 a month negotiation package. But I package those together sometimes for my entry level negotiation package. I will handle disputes with their tenants for them so that they don't end up in court. So as much as I have eight something years of litigation experience, but I use that to help clients avoid court and avoid litigation. Right. And then they only, they're only only paying me $220 a month to do that. Like if they need me to draft stuff for them or draft an addendum to the lease or a settlement agreement, it's $50 a page, right? So like, but all my pricing is transparent and on my website. So I want clients to stay subscribed to me. So I'll give you a real life example. I had a client come to me because uh, they were getting married and uh, they needed a pre- prenuptial agreement, and in Illinois we call them premarital agreements. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so they signed up with me at twenty dollars a month. They got my flat fee premarital agreement, and um, and then their soon-to-be spouse, uh, their fiance, got their own attorney because you need each side needs an attorney to make it a more valid and binding premarital agreement in Illinois. Uh, but I was the first one; I was the first attorney that this family hired to uh, to do that. So I had a relationship there, and they were subscribed to twenty dollars a month. Well, hey, guess what? Every pu- Every premarital agreement that's, you know, worth uh, uh, the page and words that it's written on, it has something in there that says, like, I need to update my estate plan in so many days to reflect these changes, right? Because just a premarital agreement isn't sufficient to do some of the things your estate plan needs to do that too. So what do I offer? Well, I offer estate plans too as part of, uh, to, to subscribers. And so, um, so I was able to do the estate planning and make sure that I got that taken care of for them. And then, uh, th- you know, then they were planning on selling the home that one of them had purchased. The other one was renting somewhere else, but then had moved in with them, but they wanted to have a family and they wanted to get a bigger house. So then they were they needed to sell that that home that they lived in. So represented them on the sale of that home and on the purchase of their next home, right? <laughs> and so then I'm representing them on two real estate transactions. Then you need to update the estate plan after that, right? Because now you have different, you, you, have, you have more assets, right? And you have to account for like what you want to do there, right? Eventually they're going to have kids and they're going to need me to come in and update their estate planning again. Right. And then whatever other issues come up in their life, like at even at one point they even unsubscribed. I make it really easy to unsubscribe and resubscribe because at that point they're like, What other legal services could we possibly need? So they unsubscribe, but I make it but you could always sign back into your to, to your account on my client portal and you're presented with another pip pay. Hey, sign up again at twenty dollars a month. That's where you were last. So sign back in because they had another issue come up and it was like within a week like they unsubscribed and like a week later they resubscribed because uh, something happened at work and they needed me to review like some document from something at work right and then later on send a demand letter so like that's an like that that doesn't happen with every one of my clients right but when the subscription model works well that's what it looks like and so like like some people just stay subscribed because they like being able to talk to a an attorney and like whenever something comes up or like make sure something's not like not not a problem, but but real estate has really become really only one aspect of what I do. Uh, I still make a decent chunk of like my annual revenue, like through the real estate practice, especially on the mm-hmm. sell side. You know, because I'm I'm a title agent, but um, but that is uh, but that's sort of what the idea looks like, and I can become trusted counsel to this family, right? And and so in whatever thing that it's that they're going to be engaged in, and they're paying me. I'm not, I'm not marketing to them to sign up with me for a one-off transaction. They're paying me to use me.
0: Right, right. And that's the difference, right? I mean, you hear this, the term like ambulance chaser and this is the flip of that, right? You're not waiting for the accident to show up and offer the services. You're getting in front, establishing the relationship so that when they need insert service here, you are the person that they call and you have an answer for that. It's pretty cool. Uh, and I can see where for your business, it gives you a lot of different tools to deploy as a business owner and operator But then as, as somebody who's using it as a consumer, it makes it easy for me. If I don't, if I don't have to seek, well, a nobody knows how to seek legal guidance at all, but you know, put that aside and then I, I have to do it now. At least I have an easy option to access you for information's guidance helps review, uh, it's, it's pretty accessible. Now, did you, when this model launched, was the idea based on that? Was the idea I want to be able to service as many clients in as many ways as I can? Uh, that was definitely part of it uh a, a lot of it was
1: built on constraints of my last job so like yeah. in my last firm i was actually doing foreclosure defense work primarily litigation billable hour work and uh i always had this growing book of transactional business mostly real estate uh residential real estate transactions so i did i have i've done and i still do some commercial transactions i just helped a client with a commercial lease a couple weeks ago so like i do that side of it too but like it was really like good, like word of mouth. I wasn't marketing, but I always did a good job with the real estate transactions. And I got to know some agents and path uh, clients, you know, would tell their friends. And so like, I had like the small but growing book of transactional business. And, and so I did have this one business client who's still a client today. Uh, and I was sort of building this transactional practice around this client. And I was like, well, this doesn't make any sense to be charging him, you know, and I was giving him what I thought was a good deal, which was $250 an hour, which is about the lowest any billable hour lawyer charges. Like, I like uh, our firm charged much more than that for for other people, but somebody, somebody I knew for a long time. So I gave him the lowest rate that I could. I was like, this doesn't make any sense because, like, he's not calling me when, like, there's an issue, right? Because the clock starts ticking, you know, at that point. Uh, and he's a friend. So, like, you know, like, how, how do you, like, separate that, you know, business relationship for the friend relationship when you're billing by the hour, Mm -hmm. really hard to do. And my firm was really supportive of me. I came up with the idea for the subscription model, like really as far back as like 2017. Uh, But it wasn't until the pandemic where the firm was like, oh yeah, like a lot of our billable hour time that used to be in court is gone. So what was the subscription model thing that you were talking about? So like they were really supportive about it, but they still wanted me to like build as many hours as possible. So it was really hard to build a practice within a practice. But some of the constraints around why I like, so, so for my $20 a month subscription, it's only uh, for like the last two hours of the day, of my workday that those subscribers get access to me. If you want access to my entire calendar of availability, you need to start at the premier level or up, which is uh, $100 a month and up. So like that constraint, which has actually worked really well, uh, and also explains the difference in value, just one aspect, because there's other reasons too. But like, there's a that's one reason why you're only get it's it's twenty dollars a month is because you only get access to two hours a day to like actually get fifteen minute increment like scheduled Zooms or calls with me, right? Right. So like that constraint was there because of I was working in another practice at the time, but it's actually served me really well for for the almost year that I've been doing I've been doing this. But the twenty dollars a month, I it was originally lower too. Uh, but uh, I sort of had to increase it because I was also looking at like what are I looked at other markets. What are people paying for Netflix, for Amazon Prime, and for other things too? And like, because that's it's if you charge too little, then they're not going to use your services. But like every month, if you get that charge for twenty dollars, you're like, oh yeah, like I should call my lawyer. Like like that's like that's twenty bucks. Like you know, like I I have to I have to contact my attorney. Well, I try to do things like I try to automate. You know communications that their people are encouraged to use my services above and beyond i can't make money on just 20 dollars a month with clients i'm hoping that they hire me for other things too right and they do but um but i still think it's super important to be accessible and help avoid other problems Because so if you do a good job and help people avoid problems then they're going to keep coming back to you too and so it's just about you know good service too you, you could have an excellent model but if you don't provide good service it really doesn't matter
2: yeah you know i was going to touch on the fact that for like the price of a Netflix subscription, you'd be able to chat with an attorney whenever you want, right? That being said, you mentioned people like landlords using this, maybe some younger couples when they're buying and marrying. Who would be the prominent customer? Who's who's,
1: who's using this
2: service most often? Who are you servicing?
1: Well, I will tell you that the clients who use me most often are like my small business clients who are like, you know, they're operating a business and they used to handle... You know, they're the founder, CEO, you know, they wear a lot of hats in their business. And now for an affordable monthly amount, they're able to outsource their legal problems, right? And their legal issues. So they're using me the most, but they're also paying me more,
0: but they're paying me a lot less than they would be paying a billable hour. That's the thing. It's more within the scale of services you offer, but it's low on the grand scheme of hiring attorney on retainer, for example, you know right right so like you know, if a business hits a certain level
1: like i got to imagine guaranteed rate has a lot of in-house counsel i'm sure they do right right i assure you they have plenty of them was not, plenty of them a lot of them
2: on retainer too i'm sure there's a whole
1: four of them would be my guess right yeah, in, inside, <laughs> an out, inside and outside counsel right they have inside counsel and they have outside counsel yeah so i'm like fractionalized in-house counsel right i am outside counsel but just like you pay an in-house attorney a, um bi-weekly salary or a monthly salary right? I am a small fraction of that, less any benefits that you'd have to pay to an actual in-house attorney and in taxes and other obligations that you'd have to pay to an actual employee uh, and the potential liabilities associated with that. So it's like paying like a fractional employee or a fractional in-house attorney. I'm that for small businesses where it would never make sense for them to hire a full-time in-house attorney. And I'm like that for freelancers and solopreneurs. And I really, I really do love that type of like i love representing all clients and i certainly make more money from the small business clients so like send more of those my way but like mm-hmm. i do i do identify with the the solopreneur the freelancer the gig worker because that's kind of me i'm a solopreneur right yeah. and and i'm off we all are everybody on this call you know yeah right, right? hustle you gotta hustle so like yeah. i i love that and i have these weekly i'm i am i i lucked into uh managing a freelancer group on the meetup meetups.com scaling freelance and every single week actually later today at noon we do talks about like different things that could help freelancers and we try to keep it broad because like we have artists on there we have we have real estate agents we have like you know we have all people of all sort of 3d motion designers you know so like we have all types of freelancers on there so we try to keep it broad today's is about websites and making your own website and stuff so um, and I try to sneak in some legal stuff like terms and conditions and privacy policy because, you know, it'd be great to convert some of them to paying clients. And, and and it would be great for other people in the freelancing group. It's like 400 something people to hire each other. Like like there's like help with other client projects, right? So like the goal is, is benefit everyone. But I really like that group. Um, and, you know, they can't afford a billable hour for sure. But if they have sufficient like clients signed up and sufficient income, $300 a month to help them with three projects or three contracts a month, Is life-changing for them and it lets them focus more on money-making activities for $300 a month right so like that like I I, I see a lot of a lot more potential there um, than anywhere else and then like just the everyday people like I I just I love representing and like being there and being trusted counsel for everyday people and it's protected by attorney-client privilege you know right ideas these days people have ideas and they're like I want to start my own business and like now they could talk uh, with an attorney with me protected by attorney-client privilege about their interesting business idea, and while I don't, I don't register trademarks and I don't register copyrights. I refer that out right now, though I have so many requests for like the registering copyrights thing. I gotta like figure that out, and I've been really? working on that. I, I advise around it though because I'm, I'm familiar with IP laws. I understand what's protectable, what's not, um, and I could help with trademark searches and I could help with the, that type of thing to like see if like their brand idea is viable for, like, what they want to call the thing, right? So, like, I help people with that, too, and it's all protected by attorney-client privilege. And right now, you know, you could kind of maybe have people sign NDAs, you know, to, like, bounce ideas off of people, and I do help with NDAs, too. Uh, but, uh, you know, like, like it's just, it's, I have a lot of fun doing that, too. So I know, like, lawyers need, like, you need to, like, whatever your your business model is, you really should niche down. But my niche right now is my my business model. It's a subscription model. It's, right, very rare. There are maybe two dozen attorneys in the whole United States who are who are using this model and and none of them using it like me uh so you know i i have i i don't want to i don't want to pick uh yet and so on my website i have the three buckets individuals freelancers businesses and so for now at least uh, i'm representing all all of those sorts
0: that's great yeah i i think we talk about this all the time and, and particularly derek and i when we're talking about this show or how we market things you know uh, how we want to niche down. And and I think there is something to be said for figuring out that your niche is the actual deliverable, right? Your model is what's interesting about your business. So whether you deliver a lot of services within that or not, you know, time will tell with your client base. But I, I do think that it's a very approachable business model, which is not normally something I would say when we have an attorney on this show. So um, that's a pretty cool thing on and own. Now, uh, separate of what you're doing uh, in your professional world, you live in Deerfield, correct? That's right. Now, and, and you bought a home in Deerfield? Yeah, yeah, in uh, the crazy market that was uh, the summer of 2021. Did you, now, I guess I have two questions. Number one, I want to hear the story about buying the home, but two, did you represent yourself through your own transaction? I assume you did. I mean, it's complicated, right? Because, like, I was very involved, but
1: another attorney at the firm, that I was still at the, the, uh, my last firm at the time, and another attorney, like, you know, did it but um i was not the only real estate attorney at the firm even though most of what we did was insurance defense work there were some other attorneys with real estate uh transactional experience and we had a relationship with like a title company which i still have a relationship with today in my solo practice yeah um yeah but um uh so yes i was very involved but i was not like the attorney on the deal you know yeah <laughs> I, but I, I i was you know i i was making sure like i like you know everything you know was exactly the way that i would want to do it and and, and you know having represented I at you know at the time I'd probably represented, like over fifty, you know, clients on real estate transactions. Um and I never purchased a home myself. You know, so like it, it definitely changes things. Like I, and I've I've worked with agents who are like, you know, who have like, you know, never purchased homes themselves. Right. But and it, it, I will say though, that like it is uh it's refreshing to like have that perspective. But then it made me feel better about the job that I was doing before because like I they're like it was really like nothing was different. If anything, like I learned some things that you absolutely should not do uh, if you if you want to get a home in a difficult market, which is like, send a punch list uh, along with, your, uh, with yeah. your offer, right? Of like, here's all the things that need to be accomplished first. It's like, there is there is value to getting under contract first and trying to handle that and return your review,
0: right? Like there is a reason why, like, because then- people are kind We of, talk about uh, it all the time, or right? I talk about it all the time with clients about building good faith, right? And like the value and importance of building good faith when you're negotiating, because you can't just be like, I want this and I want this and I want you to do it. And it's just like, you know, we all have to get along here. It's not a fight.
2: <laughs> I have actually had two contracts come together this year because the previous buyer got way too like nitpicky over inspection. So they cut bait and we're like, yeah, we're just going to go with the next offer. I mean,
1: yep. that's happened already this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, like at the end of the day, too, it's up to the client, right? It's like, if that's what the client wants to do, that's what you do. That's what you do. Right. Yeah. they have not... to le- And they have to learn from experience sometimes. And that's OK. Um, so uh, so like that was something that I learned because like I come in and I'm like, let, let, let's let's take good care of this in the front end. But but like I, part of me still does believe that, like, if you can't agree to it before the contract is signed, you're not going to
0: agree to it. In return, return There's a little bit of like, don't pull the wool over my eyes. Right. Just tell me what you're going to ask for. If you already know you're going to ask for it, ask for it. You know. Right, and like uh, for this specific
1: example, like they had like covered up the foundation in the basement in this home. But yeah, that's see, that's beautiful. So we're like, like let's mention something like like that before we, uh, you know, with our offer, you know, like right. see, see what they say, and and so, um, so anyway, I'd, but but it's, so it really depends. But like that experience, which I never had before, because most of my clients, this is the first like transaction they're ever they're, they're ever doing that yeah. requires them hire an attorney for anything. Yeah. So they, they don't know to ask for things pre-contract. And I get a lot of my clients after they've already made their offer. And what's nice about being a twenty dollar a month subscription attorney is I I now have clients come to me before they make their offer. And right. I can help I can help that form contract, that form real estate contract be a little bit better going into the process and and handling things like prorations. Because sometimes you get it and it's like, to be determined, let the lawyers negotiate the prorations. Well, I'll tell you what, when I get a buyer, I, I could put in like, you know, 115% prorations and they, you know, nobody says anything about it. Like, that's a really good result, you know, for, for tax prorations for my client because they came to me first and the agents aren't always thinking about that kind of thing. But I am. I spend some of my time negotiating what are the prorations going to be, you know, at closing during attorney review. It's like, well, look, if I could say, well, look, your client agreed
0: to this in the offer, so we're not negotiating that. Right. Right right well it's you you said it earlier knowing the rules knowing the contract knowing the process that's a lot of what real estate is whether you're doing it in a foreclosure whether you're doing a normal transaction right it's not uh i i say this all the time it's not rocket science but it is a it is a repeated process that if you do it right you can do it in a way that protects you you can do it in a way that doesn't leave you exposed for future risk as best you can you know barring some disaster or something unwilling that happens but you have to know what you're doing, and I do think that the value we have being in Illinois is we get somebody like you. You can have an attorney on the transaction. People at first are like, I don't want to pay for an attorney. I'm like, why? I I don't want to be your legal representation. And in other states, that's what it is. The real estate attorney, the real estate agent, does everything the attorney does here. I'm like, I I didn't go to school for this. You know, my my license is the actual transaction of real estate, but it has nothing to do with the law and functioning of you know title and everything else. So. Right. And, and, and you know, uh, the way that I explain it is it's it's like insurance. It's
1: not insurance, but it's like insurance. Is it worth, you know, for me, you know, is it worth $450?
0: Divide that by 30 years. Right. Is it worth it? Is it worth right. it to hire a lawyer? Probably. Well, and you know how often things come up where my clients have closed and then a year in something pops up, they get something in the mail, they don't recognize. And who is it that they call? The real estate attorney. They're like, look, I don't know what this is. And you were the person that represented me. What is this? Right. And even just to have that, and for you, is to have that on retainer so that if it's something important or if it's a problem, you can actually go deal with it. That's super valuable because, I mean, normally they call the real estate attorney who goes, oh, you should deal with that. Call this person. I refer you to this attorney who deals with that. You know, I only do real estate. But for you, you have this portfolio of offerings. So if they stay in touch, it doesn't matter what comes in the mail or what they're surprised with.
2: Well, that's just the part that could be irritating sometimes when people use an attorney who's yeah. an attorney, not necessarily a real estate attorney, right? And mm-hmm. it's not most attorneys are like Matthew over there We' like the Swiss Army attorney of attorneying, right? where well, they could do it all, right? Where some of them are just, hey, we're
0: sticking to real estate. We're sticking to probate, whatever it may be. And you could get yourself a lot of issues. I was worried you're going to say a real estate attorney is like something you like to do on the side because. <laughs> we we get a lot of attorneys and transactions i'm like you went to law school for what not this <laughs> you probate. probate usually yeah yeah
1: yeah 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 not no, nothing in court i i avoid court now i use my my past court experience to help help me with my transactions but that's great oh you know, no like i and, and it's hard right because like i i am a general practice transactional attorney technically right like yeah but i am also a business attorney and I'm a real estate attorney and I'm those things too and I do a lot of my work in those in those areas.
0: So, well, and you you get to practice it. I think that where we run into issues truly is we see attorneys that do something their whole life and then they're asked to do something they never do. And when they come in they're in blind and they're trying to navigate an Illinois you know, real estate transaction difficult on its own. But, you know, I I think where you value is that you uh, you bring skills to the table where you learned in a difficult market how to transact in the real estate world first, and now you can pass that along while also servicing these clients and their other needs. So it's pretty cool. Right, right. And and to uh, to transition back to I think what you were getting to
1: earlier is uh is you know think about like being like on the other side of it where I was the the one transacting like purchasing the home like. You you also get into that emotional state, right? And you do. So, like we were under contract at a at a at a home in Highland Park before Deerfield, and a better offer came around, and like the contract explicitly says you cannot cancel this contract for a higher purchase price,
0: right? <laughs> Isn't it amazing what people can do? Yeah, yeah. So know. You know, they came up with like a BS reason. We hadn't even like they beh- like we had just entered attorney
1: review. We sent the letter, and um and they waited until like they waited like four days to like send a letter that just said we're canceling the contract person to attorney review. And we were like, what's happened here? So, uh, you know, you definitely don't want to do that when your buyer is an attorney. Uh, cause we were, you know, I mean, we almost like filed like malpractice claims with, I would think, yeah, you, you probably had a
0: legitimate case
1: too. Yeah. With the broker, the listing broker and stuff. And, um, and cause you know, they, they and they engaged in essentially what's, purchase interference of contract, right? Because they continue right. to go out to find higher
0: prices and then their client canceled the contract. So like they're liable, like not just buy just- a seller. The- right, what they can do is accept the backup offer and let it sit there. But what they can't do is walk away from your offer for that offer because it's better. Because like you said, they're contractually obligated to perform and their performance is the delivery of the home. So it's like, right. where do we lose the process here? So that's super, I hate when I hear stuff like that because it is a reflection of all the professionals involved, the attorney, the real estate agent, and. And obviously the sellers, but um, it sounds like at least, you know, better things happen. You found a different home and everything.
1: And so part of, part of a market as it was, uh, we did find another home in Deerfield. Yeah. That we really liked that was literally the same exact price, right? Like not as an up-to-date home, but like in terms of like size of property, we went from like having a backyard that was like the size of a garage to having a backyard that was like a half acre. And it was like, yeah, same price. And it just, sure, it's not like lakeshore Property. It wasn't like on the lake anyway in Highland Park, but it was like, you know, like it's not like the North Shore anymore because we're a town over. Right. But um, so that's kind of why we could get even a, more property for the same price. But the home was also not as up to date as the other home. So that was another reason why it was the same price. Uh, I'm the kind of person that gets super involved in communities. Like I'm super involved in the American Bar Association, which is uh, the trade association, the largest trade association in the U.S. for attorneys. Like I've held leadership roles ever since law school. Uh, I got got involved on uh, my community theater board uh, because I am an acting, dancing, and singing lawyer. Uh, And so, like, I'm into that stuff. And so I'm on... uh, And I I host their podcast, the Deerfield... I host and produce the Deerfield Family Theater podcast. It's called the DFT Podcast. Check it out. Very cool. uh, uh, And and so, like, I get super involved. I'm on the Park Foundation Board, which is a nonprofit where we raise money for scholarships for families who can't afford, like, Park District things uh, in the community. And so... um, so like I always get involved and I was supposed to be in the Deerfield Parade when that terrible tragedy happened in Highland Park where we were maybe going to live. So like I'm thinking like in hindsight, it's a really good thing that that seller uh, sort of, um, you know, canceled the contract, uh, bre- you know, breached the contract where I could have collected, you know, where we could have sued for, for a specific performance, even though we didn't, because otherwise I would have gotten involved in Highland Park and I would have been on their boards and I would have been in that parade. And, you know, think about like, I, you know, our family would have been at risk in that situation. So sometimes, you know, sellers get or buyers, I should say, get really upset when they like don't get a bid on a home or like yeah. something happens in attorney review and they lose the home. But you never know, you know, how you will benefit in the future from that. It wasn't meant to be that you you owning that home wasn't meant
0: to be and keep searching for the next home because it's going to hopefully be better for you like like it was for us. That's such an amazing story because you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it seems more than likely that you would have been there to see everything that happened, which would have been terrible. And we see buyers lose all the time. And there's uh, theres two things that happen when people lose an offer. Number one, they either shut down, right? And the search stops entirely or they move on. They still need to find a home. They're motivated. They lost. They find something else. And I think you're a perfect example of why there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of momentum when you're in the search to keep going. And when you do find the right home, it often works out a lot better than the home that you lost out on anyway, right? Like you said, you get more land, you get a slightly different opportunity. So it's just, you don't know uh, what's out there In the real estate market is always shifting. So if you lose an opportunity, there's always something around the corner. Uh, You just have to keep looking. So I'm I'm really happy to hear for you, for your family's sake, that that you found an opportunity that keeps you safe and and that you're you're settled now, that you're comfortable. That's awesome. And the North shore is very safe, you know, that was- Yes, it is, yeah.
1: That happened, and you know, I'm so glad. At least at the time of recording, our state has you know officially banned it. Whether you know banned assault rifles, whether or not that stops things coming over from other states, and you know whatever it is. Like I, I grew up loving going to shooting ranges too, and so like I, I you know I loved uh, I, I loved going shooting and stuff, and I still do like to go to shoot clay pigeons.
0: But like, you know, especially that experience taught me that you know we we don't need certain things uh, in our communities. It's, yeah, there's too much of some things. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I I guess where we want to end every show, really, and you mentioned community, is with an opportunity for you to speak to the community, whoever's listening to this. So is there anything that uh, you feel we didn't talk about today you'd like to leave everybody with? Is there anything that maybe you're seeking in your business right now, whether you're hiring or if you're just looking for new clients? Is there anybody you're trying to connect with? Whatever it is, we'd love to connect to Matthew as best we can. Uh, Yeah,
1: yeah. So, uh, you know, like the question that I like to ask people is, you know, do you know anyone who wants to avoid business, personal problems. You know, my, I, I'm the subscription attorney. Like I help people avoid big, expensive legal problems. And maybe you don't know what a legal problem is. Well, that's why my subscription started at $20 a month, right, because you could call me for a very low rate and figure out, is this a legal problem? You know, mm-hmm. I, want, I want my clients to get back to either what's making them money or what's making them happy. So, you know, that that's the type of, of attorney uh, that, that I am. And I do it for a predictable and transparent price. All my pricing is on my website, subscriptionattorney.com. Uh, if, you, if you're if you listening to this and you are an attorney, uh, I do have a podcast for attorneys and technologists building for the legal space, and that is Law Subscribed. And it's lawsubscribed.com for that to learn more about, about that podcast. Uh, but my engagement agreement is on my website. My prices are on my website. I'm not hiding anything. Everything is there. And so uh, whether you're a, a lawyer, an agent, uh, a potential uh, buyer or seller, I mean, that's the best place to find out more. I'm most active on LinkedIn. So if you search the subscription attorney or Matthew Kerbis,
0: um, go ahead and connect with me on there. My DMs are open. Excellent. We love that. We, uh, we will make sure that we link the podcast, your LinkedIn, how everyone can access your website. We'll put all that in the show notes so it's easy for everybody to find. Uh, and we love whenever anybody uh, comes on and says, hey, DM me, I'm happy to respond because our guests will, I'm sure. So uh, thank you again, Matthew. This has been an incredible time talking with you. Uh, I'm sure we'll reconnect in the future. And hey, maybe Derek and I'll give you a call because who doesn't need legal services? So. Appreciate it, Matthew. Thanks for having me.